Episode 350 of the Biz Talk with the Wichita Business Journal podcast. We have reached another milestone. The WBJ created this podcast because we wanted to provide you with some insight into the people, places, companies, organizations, and issues that are important to Wichita's business community. I am editor Kirk Semenoff. Well, we've all been there, attending a business event or conference and being bored out of our skulls from the lack of imagination. Author Phil Mershon joins me on this week's podcast to talk about a book he's written that addresses how to eliminate boring events and create memorable events where the imparted information is more likely to sink into the attendee's brain because the attendee was interested, entertained, and engaged. The book is called Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences, and Phil joins me in just a minute. But first, here's a look at what's in the weekly edition of the Wichita Business Journal. This week's cover story is 20 black business leaders in Wichita who you should know. Managing editor Shelby Kellerman looks at these leaders, some well-recognized in Wichita and others I would describe as up-and-comers, and she gets them talking about what they do and how they value black businesses in Wichita. 20 Black Business Leaders to Know begins on page 14. This week's list is the city's largest certified public accounting firms. See who employs the most CPAs and learn about what these firms might look like with the challenges of AI and talent attraction and retention ahead. The list is on page eight. Part of our mission is to help small and medium-sized businesses grow. One way we try to to accomplish that is through our weekly lead section. We list bankruptcies, new real estate deals, building permits, new corporations, who owes back taxes, and court judgments. Our lead section this week begins on page 23. Equity Bank means business. That's why they've created business solutions to help you solve your business challenges. Visit them today at equitybank.com. I'm a little intimidated having Phil Mershon on BizTalk this week, frankly, because he could easily cast a critical eye on this podcast, having so much experience and expertise on creating memorable memorable events. So I'm going to do everything I can not to be boring, Phil. Thanks for joining me. (laughs) Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. (laughs) Uh, You're a speaker, author, thought leader, and your newest book released last fall is called Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. Um, I think that's a fascinating topic who, you know, everybody in business at one time and another goes to events and has great experiences or awful experiences. And in this book, you talk about how people can put on the best kinds of events. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, How long have you been doing this? You know, it started probably when I was like seven years old. So I would come home from church and I would recreate church services in our living room. <laughs> so, so, what, what every seven-year-old does when we get home from like church. When I was 12, 13 years old, we put together a KISS band. We put on the makeup, and we put on concerts and charged a quarter uh, to our neighborhood kids. So I, at one level, I've been doing it all my life. But I would say it, it started somewhere in my early career days. You know, I started at Boeing and fell in love with brainstorming. And I was like, I don't like computer programming, but I like this brainstorming thing. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, then I worked for a nonprofit and was like re, re-jiggering the way we do training. But I didn't think about 
making it unforgettable. I was just doing what felt natural. But it was when I got out to Coke uh, around uh, 95, I was working out there and I was in the, um, what was called the Coke Development Group, which became the MBM Group, which now is called something else. Um, they keep changing it. But mm-hmm. um, I would do these new employee orientations and people would come up to me afterwards saying, that's the best training I've ever been to in business. And I'm like, okay, it can't be that good. What, what am I doing different? And they wouldn't know. They couldn't tell me. But when you start hearing that kind of thing over and over, you start to think, okay, there's something I'm doing. What did you ever figure it out? Well, and that's, that's kind of what goes in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I told someone in 2017 when I started writing the book that I was going to write this book. And this lady said, oh, please, please write this book. Um, you may want to take this out later, but this lady said, my husband has to go to all these mandatory training events and he comes home and says, I just want to kill myself. (laughs) And she's like, please write this book. The world needs this. Now I live in among event professionals and most event professionals don't need this book Mm -hmm. at the same level that corporate America does or associations do or people who are subject matter experts who have something really important to share, but they don't know how to do it in a way that's going to be memorable and exciting. Like I went to an event in Vegas with all the best meeting planners in the world. They don't need this. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they could get principles. All of them read it and they love the stories and they get ideas, but it's the people who don't live this day in and day out who I think could use it the most. When you look back, and it's been a long time now, to that Coke onboarding that you were doing, what were some of the, the facets of it that, yeah, I really kind of rock that? Um, I mean, it was everything from do, being multi-sensory, so mm-hmm. getting people drawing, using color, um, getting them to interact with each other, using a lot of story and movement, not just lecturing, mm-hmm. but really getting engagement going, so... I know that I know this principally that if you get people engaged by talking and doing things and moving around, that it's going to be more stimulating. Today, I might even add senses, you know, like smell mm-hmm. into it, more tactile kinds of things. The more senses you use, the more memorable it becomes. Science is really strong on that. Right. Um, it appears to me as an outsider who doesn't have this kind of expertise that. You have to be an extrovert. You have to have a personality. Is that not the case? I'm not an extrovert. Mm-hmm. You probably are surprised. Yeah. Um, I am a learned extrovert. And extrovert is the wrong word. I'm a learned. I've learned to be more gregarious and outgoing. I get all my energy from being alone. I spend a lot of time alone. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic didn't phase me because I was already used to being alone a lot. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you have to. I mean, you have to like people. You have to enjoy being with people, I think, and understand the psychology of what um, makes people come to life. But you don't have to be the life of the party to be effective at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me more about your background. You you mentioned that you went home from church at age seven and recreated, the, <laughs> but you were a pastor for a time, too. I was, yeah. I, be, I went to seminary, became a pastor, a worship pastor. I was a worship leader for 20 plus years. I was a pastor for 10 years. Um, I mean, once a pastor, always a pastor, but I'm not officially ordained anymore. My denomination requires you to actually have a church mm-hmm. uh, that you're serving to be called ordained. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm not ordained, but you know, I still call myself Pastor Phil online to some people and 
because uh-huh. um, I enjoy serving people. You grew up in Wichita, proud Southeast High School alum. Southeast, class of 83, absolutely. Heights of 84 here. Okay, so, yeah. all right, there you go. <laughs> We're in the same age range. Um, talk about being a kid in Wichita growing up and just then your path after that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, my kids have grown up largely here in Wichita and the way you and I grew up. My, our parents didn't know what we were doing, right? Exactly. We yes. would we would go off and play these massive games of capture the flag that would cover miles. And there's no way I would have let my kids do that when they were in junior high or right. high school. Um, and we want to know where they are. Turn on your location on your phone. My parents don't know, still don't know some of this stuff, right? <laughs> but I will tell you this. When I was in high school, I would have never imagined, number one, that I would write a book. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy writing, um, writing classes in high school, except when we studied things like theater and songwriting, um, was really not something I enjoyed. So I would have never pictured writing a book. And then when I got to public speaking, I, in college, I, I failed the persuasive speech in public speaking. And so I said, after that speech where I literally sat down in the middle of my clothes because I couldn't remember it and I didn't have anything to say, mm. I said, I am never doing that again. Right. Three years later, I was on stage in front of 5,000 people. What turned on? Um, Literally, I took a course right after college that was one of those seminal moments in my life. So, you know, I've been a Christian since I was a teenager, but this course was on um, world missions. And something lit up in my heart of, oh, I want to make an impact in the world. And now I had language for it. And so I all of a sudden cared about something so much that I overcame my fear. Hmm. And so the same way, like getting on microphones like this, if it's talking about something I care about, I'm great. If you wanted to interview me about accounting or (laughs) something I know nothing about, I'm not one of those people who can talk about anything. Mm -hmm. It's only what I know about and what I care about. So that's, that's kind of what changed it where, oh, I actually can speak if I care about what I'm speaking about. And then all of a sudden, after a while, figured out that I'm actually pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And people want to hire me to do it. And it's like, oh, that's cool. You want to pay me to do this? I, I would do it for free if I you know, didn't need to feed a family. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk more about what's in the book, but talk about first uh, the experience of taking what you know and putting it on or putting it in a computer on paper, you know, what we used to say. Um, was that a difficult experience for you? Well, I told you I started writing in 2017. <laughs> that, I did notice that, yeah. That it tells you a little bit of the story. It took six years. Now, insert a year and a half for the pandemic right. where no one cares about a book about in-person experiences. So the publisher said, yeah, let's put that on pause. We don't we don't want to have that right now. But it, it was challenging. I started and stopped multiple times trying to figure out what is this book. Like mm-hmm. at first, I thought the book was going to be called Time Standing Still. And I'd had this experience, and you've probably had it too, where you're, in a, you're at an event and someone drops this idea that just sticks with you and you can't let it go and like everything else doesn't matter or Mm -hmm. you're in this conversation with someone and everything else just fades you're like this is this is why i'm here this is the whole reason i traveled halfway across the country for this conference was for this conversation right here right now nothing else matters and 
And I've had it happen in other places, like, you know, at a beach. I've had it happen at Music Theater Wichita. Like, um, I don't know. I talked to Wayne Bryan about this. Sweet Charity is one of the musicals that they did back in, like, 2006, I think. And I had this experience there. I had it happen in, in the Heights um, just a few years ago. Right. So I, I asked him about how he does that. And he said, I don't know, because all I do is try to tell a great story and create this connection. But I remember in both of those musicals, I, I almost yelled out in, in the Heights, cheering for this scene. It was like, well, that's totally inappropriate. Stop that. <laughs> but then in um, his Sweet Charity... At the end of it, there's this really poignant scene where the main actor, is, you know, he's a businessman who falls in love with the showgirl, but he doesn't feel adequate. He doesn't mm-hmm. feel like he deserves her. And he's asking all these questions that every man on the planet asks at some point, do I deserve the love of this woman? Hmm. And when he said it, it's like, holy cow, that's so powerful. Don't let the show go on. We need to sit with that. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. And that's. That's the feeling. Mm-hmm. So I said, that's what I want to write about. Well, when Wayne Bryan told me there's no way to do that, that's not something you can like calculate how to use lights or get the actors to do a certain thing. I was like, hmm, maybe that's not the whole point. Maybe I need to actually focus elsewhere and know that that happens for some people when you create a great event, but it's not going to happen for everybody. Because he even said, if you came to the show 10 times over the course of the two weeks or whatever that they did it, you might find that happen at a different point every show, or you might only have it happen a couple times um, because of how you connect to the story and what's going on in your life. So I can't predict that. All I can do is tell the story the best way I know how to do it. And so that's where I started to say, okay, I want to tell create events that create the best experience possible. Uh, I apply principles like do for one what you could wish you could do for everyone because there's things that you can do for one person or a small group that you can't do for everyone. But I try to look at principles like, you know, looking at the key moments over the course of an event. Say, well, where, where is everybody at low point? You know, circadian mm-hmm. rhythms. Like, when are people tired? When are these people, are they lagging? How can I pump that up or where are those points when everyone's paying attention that you can do something that they're not expecting right that's gonna catch their attention it's gonna be unusual enough they're saying oh i can't believe this guy did that or like we did a musical um, parody several years in a row on stage where people weren't expecting it and it's like okay that's different and they <laughs> caught their attention they enjoyed it um they laughed they talked about it mm-hmm. and then they moved on right um does there have to be a certain amount of buy-in when you're when you're you're not going to grab everyone at an event? Uh, everyone's not yeah. going to buy in. Of you course. have to know that going in. Yeah. But you just trying you're trying to uh, just get the most out of the most number of people you can, right? And you're doing different things, knowing that some things will connect with with certain groups of people. Like you know, you study your audience. You got to know the different subsets of people that are there, you know, people are different industries. They're, they've been in the industry, certain different lengths of time for our event. We've got people coming from all over the world. So I've found that the way we as Americans like to network is not the way that people network in Europe or Asia. 
Um, we're way more forward, willing to kind of get direct and go straight to the point. Whereas in Europe, you take a lot of time. You have mm-hmm. tea together. You have beers together. You get to know each other before you ever, you know, talk about business or, you know, doing things together. And so knowing that people need different kinds of spaces as mm-hmm. a result of that, they need the ability to do things at a different pace. Um, you know, if they prefer, like today, research says 15 to 20% of most audiences has some form of neurodiversity, meaning things like ADHD. Mm -hmm. So loud noises or big crowds could be really hard for some people. And I work in social media where I jokingly said, you know, I I work at home and don't need to be around people. That's what my people in our industry do. Like they sit here like you're doing right now in front of a desk, but they don't have to go out and see people because they just look at them on their right. on their screen yes and so when they get bold enough to get on a plane or in a car or train or whatever and go to a city like san diego we know half of them are like mm, do i really want to i want this but <laughs> yes. do i want this uh-huh. and so how do you help them feel comfortable uh is it also tougher compared to past decades that because they've got the world at their fingertips with a smartphone mm-hmm. and if if there's a reason for me to not listen to you or whomever's up there on the stage, I'm going to go scroll the CNN website. I'm going to go look on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Yeah. yeah. How much tougher is it? I don't know if I could put like a percentage, but I think the challenge is like when you're creating content that people have come for, you definitely have to create an experience with the content so that it feels different than what they could have seen you do online. Right. Because, you know, we've got 50 speakers that are going to speak here in two weeks at our conference. And that may be like two days after you release this, whenever you release (laughs) it. Um, All of them have content online. Many of them are creating content every single week. Our CEO just released his 600th podcast episode, and every person who's speaking at the conference was on his podcast for 45 minutes. So... You could go hear these people um, online. So why am I traveling to San Diego and hearing them in person? It's because that person's going to create an experience that you're not going to get anywhere else. And they're going to be available to answer your questions. Mm-hmm. They're going to hang out in the hallway. They're going to be at the parties. They're going to be available to talk and connect in a different way than you can do online. And I think the, the reason people travel to an event is because of experiences and connections. The learning is is the reason they tell the boss, and it is important to them. It's the number one reason that they're going. But they theoretically could do all that learning online. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't learn as well online as we do in person because when we're in person, we're focused. Right. When we're online, our minds are wandering all over the place. We're just we, waiting to get to that next tab on the browser. We are looking at yeah. three things at once. We've got mm-hmm. the phones out. We've got you know five different tabs open. We're flipping back and forth. We're not really going deep, but we think we're learning. One of your messages is no more boring events. What's, <laughs> what are the biggest ruts that event or planners and organizers just fall into too easily? So one of the things I talk about is I, I think there's a bell curve in events. I think 10% roughly are unforgettably bad. <laughs> are unforgettably good and the rest of them fall in the middle. And that's, that means they're forgettable and that's boring. Mm -hmm. So boring could mean you're putting me to sleep. Could be like, it's really bad, 
But if it's really bad, you're going to be like me where I've gotten up a couple times in my life and left a movie because it was that bad or I just didn't enjoy it. Right. Um, whereas, you know, so that is actually unforgettably bad. Whereas most of the forgettable, boring events are things in the middle, like, you know, the frog being boiled. Like, they're, they've got you there. It's not bad enough you're leaving, but it's not good enough that you're going to write anybody and talk about it. And if you don't remember it, when you get back to the office, then it was forgettable and boring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, if we can get more and more of the events that we're creating to be something that people remember and talk about, and it doesn't have to be the whole thing. Like if you just remember a couple of things about the event that make a difference for you, that could be literally career changing, life changing. And so that's really what I think we have to strive towards is getting things to stand out and stick. Is it important for event planners and organizers to, after the fact, do a postmortem on what just happened? And how do you do that postmortem? Is it important to get feedback from people who are there? Yeah, you, you want 360 feedback. You want to get it from the audience for sure. You want your staff to contribute. We get our speakers, our sponsors, to a lesser degree, our vendors, um, to all contribute um, insights and ideas. And we try to give equal voice to all those different people and looking at all facets of it. And then we sit down and say, okay, what worked? What didn't work? What are we going to do different next year? Um, we try our very best to keep track of those things because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oftentimes for us, it's six or nine months before you think about those things again. Right. And when you're doing a once a year kind of event, but it's important. And then to, you know, constantly stay in touch with who your audience is. Like we've noticed our, just this is an example, probably five years ago, our audience was 60% women today it's 75% women. Why? I don't know the why. Mm-hmm. I really don't, but um, that's that's a whole different story. But it's shifted, and that makes a difference. You know, if you know you're planning events, and three out of four people there are women, um, that's going to be different than if you're planning a 50-50 event. Or there are people in our the industry that I'm in where they're planning events where it's probably 70% men. Mm-hmm. So you compare those two events to each other, which I've done. I used to think that event was terrible the one that was for the the men only turns out they're like these internet marketers who, you know, are very aggressive in their behavior and they enjoy, you know, the high flying parties where everyone is just, you know, getting drunk and they're, they're pushing cards. People coming to our conference don't like that at all. It's offensive to them. They don't Mm want to be sold. Um, They, they just want to get to know each other, to enjoy each other. You know, if you can assume that 75% are women, most of them might be moms. They want to get away from the kids. They just want to do stuff that they could never do at home. Um, let the husband take care of the kids. And, <laughs> you know, that's what I assume. And so get out, when man. you know that, then you're planning different things. And you're thinking about what difference will this make to her or him or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I asked earlier about can, does, it, does a person need to be an extrovert, but let, let's take the other side. Let's look at a boring person like myself. <laughs> I'm admittedly boring. Um, what are some of the keys for me if I'm putting on an event that I have to think about? Do I have to, to- go totally outside my brain? Should I go find people who are bigger personalities to, to help me think? Uh, can a boring person do it? Yes, I think you can because where you want to start is identify some problems, places where you know the event is going to be boring, mm-hmm. 
And then maybe you get some people to help you brainstorm, but start thinking about how could we do that differently? So I'll just give you a really classic example. Um, Cause I asked a bunch of people online, what makes events boring? And one of the things they said was standing in line. So just, let's just say that's, that's something that's boring about your event. They somehow they get stuck in line at Starbucks or they get stuck in line to go to the bathroom. They get stuck in line doing something. How can you reinvent the standing in line? And you just begin brainstorming that. Hmm. And you just start taking some of the things that your audience has already told you they don't like about your event. That if you could turn it around and make it something that they enjoy or at least it's tolerable. And then obviously you would want to do the same thing with things that are already good, but you can make them great. Just do one thing at a time. And I, as a boring person, I'm going to guess you're analytical. And that you could look at the data and the data might say, you know what, these three things weren't as good as I thought they were then just start tackling them and saying, well, what could we do different? What do other people do with that? What do people do in other industries? Maybe I can get inspiration from somewhere else. And maybe it's brainstorming with some people, but I'm going to guess because you're analytical, you could find some solutions that will actually make a big difference and turn it around. It's, it, it, you can break it down. It doesn't have to be this high and creativity that's necessary because some of my most creative ideas are terrible. Um, they're not, they're not what the audience needs. Like I've got a guy who's helping me. We've got designed an experience team and this guy is way off the charts, creative, way more than me. And I'm creative, but he's like five times me. And I asked him to brainstorm some um, things that we could do. He and I together came up with 20 or 30 ideas, but when he went off on his own, he came up with 130, literally 130 things that we could do. And I had to pare it down and say, okay, we can only do seven. So which seven do you want to do? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Do event planners, do they sometimes, I I wonder about the cost of things because sometimes planners are obviously working under, always working under a budget, but do you have to be able to let the purse strings loose just a little bit for things that are going to help presentation. You, you mentioned music, lights, um, other things, senses, you mentioned that as well. Things that will enhance just the what a person sees and feels when they're there. So let me answer that in two ways. One is purse strings can actually release your best creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably familiar with what they say about Saturday Night Live. I forget the guy's name, who was the original executive producer, but he uh, said, Lauren Michaels. Yeah, yeah, Lauren Michaels said that one of the best gifts to Saturday Night Live was that they had a weekly deadline. That constraint released their creativity, mm-hmm. and I've found that when our controller comes to us and says, "You've got half the budget." that you had last year because post pandemic, our numbers are different than they were pre pandemic. Like, you know, we had, we were just growing and growing and growing. And then people stopped going to events and people have changed their event going behavior. So, but that has been actually a gift to say, well, I used to be able to just spend more freely, not, not unlimited, but more freely. Now I have less money. What can I do with that money? That's still going to make a huge impact. So, I don't look at that as an enemy. I look at it as a friend. Mm-hmm. That said, I do think you have to prioritize some of these things that we're talking about and say, you know what? For us, live entertainment's important. 
So we're going to prioritize that. I do everything I can to find people in the community who want to do it that are willing just to come to the event and be part of it because this is somewhere they want to be anyway. So they don't need the same fees that they might need somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, So I get creative that way. Other events would probably have to spend five times as much for the same people because if they came to an event that they're not interested in, they're going to charge Mm -hmm. a whole lot more. Sure. So... Go back to the pandemic for a second. I'm sure you held online events, virtual events. Mm-hmm. Does that have to open up a different part of your brain when you were called on to just do something totally different? We've been doing online events since 2009. Mm-hmm. So way before everybody else, you know, it's hilarious <laughs> during the pandemic because we had all these friends start coming along and saying, I'm I'm a certified digital event expert. <laughs> and like, that is just so crazy. We've been doing it for 10 years. I don't have a certification, but I think I know more than you. <laughs> um, but it does. So to engage people and to create experiences in an online event is a whole different thing. In 2020 and 21, people were interested in those experiences because they couldn't travel. They're not anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there are people out there that are still creating interesting and engaging online events. Um, they know how to do it better than I do. It can be done. It just requires constant stimulation, a different way of presenting ideas. Um, you're building community, but you've got you've to approach it in a whole different way. Is there ever an event that by just by design has to be boring? So I'll tell you this. I think it depends on your audience. Um, if you're presenting to a bunch of medical doctors, they want to know the deep science behind a new procedure, let's say, that's come out. So they need to know the science and all the terminology. You and I, if we're sitting in that room, mm-hmm. say, oh my gosh, that's so boring. They're not finding the ideas boring, but there are a lot of other things about the way the event is done that are boring, which is mm-hmm. why they all leave as quickly as they possibly can <laughs> to go golf or sail or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Um, engineering conferences the same way. <laughs> there was one year where we were, our event was simultaneous with an engineering conference. We were on one end of the building, and they were on the other end of the building. And people would walk by our event, which is full of life, and people are enjoying themselves. People are carrying signs and cheering and you know, making noise. And these guys would come up and say, how do I come to your event? Our event is so boring. <laughs> Can you please come and help us? Um, so I think you know, subject matter might feel boring, but I think just because the content itself is dense and needs to be, you know, presented in a certain kind of way, maybe doesn't mean everything else needs to be. But I will say this, like we had a NASA engineer come to our conference one year and she was frustrated because she came for content and she didn't like all the fluff. And she told us about it. Like she was coming to the desk constantly complaining about the temperature, saying these breaks are too long. I want more content. I don't want these long networking breaks. I didn't come to talk to people. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I just came for the content. So um, she really wasn't the right fit because mm-hmm. we were looking for people that actually do want to talk to people and make connections because they know that that's going to be their best friend. So 
I think what's boring in one industry versus another mm-hmm. is going to be defined differently. It's knowing your audience. You know your audience. Uh, but that said, we're all people and people want experiences. You know, if I was doing an engineering conference, I probably would look for different kind of experiences that they would enjoy that maybe marketers wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, again, knowing your audience. And this month you're holding the Social Media Marketing World Conference in San Diego. Uh, my first thought is that's probably a pretty good party, is it? We have a good party <laughs> and we have a good time, but people are coming to learn. Uh-huh. I mean, we have a Facebook group of almost a thousand people and their eagerness to learn from one another and test out ideas of what's working. So, you know, social media has been around for, gosh, depending on what you want to count. If, if MySpace is the beginning of it, it's 20 years. If Facebook, it's 16 years. Um, it's been around a while. And so it's, it's a much more mature audience than when we started these conferences where we called it the wild, wild west. Well, it's not the wild west anymore. Like there are established procedures and things that work and things that don't work. And so people are trying to constantly figure out how do I, how do I beat this algorithm thing that's Mm -hmm. out there? And they're looking at things like analytics and there's, there are definitely things that work and don't work. And so, but it's really a more mature audience because I got to say the, the social media marketers we see here around here in Wichita seem like a pretty young lot. Our right. average age is probably about 40. Wow. Okay. That's surprising to me. Um, and it might be because they have the money to come. Mm. So it's not a, you know, it's not a cheap event. I think full price tickets, $2,000. And then you add travel on top of that. You're Hotels and travel, you're probably looking at three to four thousand dollars, and in the international crowd, it's even more. Mm-hmm. So um, that may be why we don't get as many twenty somethings, although they're there literally. This morning, I saw someone say, "Hey, where are all the Gen Zers? <laughs> I want to have a meetup. I want to find my people." Mm-hmm. So, and they're starting to come out of the woodwork. They're there. Interesting. <laughs> what other tips do you have for non-boring events that folks need to know? Um, the Probably the biggest thing I'd think about is your customer journey. So marketers talk about customer journeys, mm-hmm. event producers think about it. Um, even if you're in retail, you're thinking about what is somebody's experience with you. So think about when does it actually start? I think this is the biggest question. You know, Back when I was a pastor, I always said people's church experience does not start when they hit the door at the church. It doesn't even start when they hit the parking lot. It starts the night before when they put their clothes out or mentally put their clothes out of what are they going to wear? How am I going to prepare for the kids? that are going to be screaming in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, like that whole journey. So the same thing is true at a conference. When someone purchases their ticket, that's when their journey starts. What is it like from the day they decided I'm coming and then each stage of the way? Right. I get a lot of inspiration from Jesse Cole and the Savannah Bananas. Oh, yes. He's Uh got inspiration from us, too, because he came several times. But he does that. Like, he sends a video to people. He used to have his team call every person that bought a ticket, but now he's way too... Mm. Now he's got way too many people coming to games. Um, So they send a video out, getting people excited. And then they send another email saying, hey, here's here's the song list to get you in the mood. Well, we create song lists. We have a Facebook group where people are getting psyched and meeting people. We do... We do meetups where people can make friends because the worst thing in the world is, is to show up to an event and not know anybody. Right. So think about the customer journey. Like when they buy, how are they preparing to get to the event? What are, what's your communication look like between the purchase date 
and the day and the time that they get to your event. Mm-hmm. And then what does that feel like when they land in the city or at the venue and then each phase of the way while they're at the venue? Every step people take, you're inviting them into the community more and more or you can repel them. I'm a big believer that first impressions make a big difference. And so um, one of the pastors I worked with had done research on what gets people coming back. And if they have five to seven meaningful encounters in their first visit, and so at an event within the first 30 minutes, um, they're going to be much more likely to keep leaning in and investing themselves in the community. But then you still have to be paying attention, like where are those places where they might decide to exit? Mm-hmm. You know, the online events are constantly thinking about how do I p- keep people engaged so that they stay here and don't go to their phone or that other browser. At an event, you're also dealing with that too. They could go back to the hotel. San Diego is a beautiful place. They could go play golf. They could go surf. They could go to Tijuana. Go to the zoo, yeah. How am I keeping them here mm-hmm. and engaged and getting benefits? So you're constantly kind of re-enlisting. So you're looking at that journey every step of the way and thinking about what are those peak moments? What are those moments where they might exit? What can I do to re-engage them? And then how do I send them off feeling like, wow, this was amazing I want to come back and they got something out of it. Like you, if you, if they just came and had a good time, a good experience and it didn't make a difference, then it really wasn't an unforgettable experience. It was Mm -hmm. just a good time. Can you ever, ever overdo it? Um, I'm sure you can. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can. Um, I think, yeah, again, if you know your audience, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone does everything that you actually planned, that would probably be overdoing it, but I always go with the assumption that right. not everybody's experiencing everything that I planned, and I'm trying to hit different people at different places in different ways, and the accumulation of all that will become something that they will talk about. Yeah, interesting. Phil Mershon, author of uh, Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. It's been a fun conversation. Yes, yeah, great. Thank you. That's it for Biz Talk this week, episode 350. Check out all our podcast episodes at our BizTalk Hub. It's at wichitabusinessjournal.com. Thank you for listening and subscribing. BizTalk is a production of the Wichita Business Journal. Thanks very much to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Creating the business concept turned out to be the easy part. The challenges that follow is where Equity Bank comes in. Equity Bank was built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let them help your business evolve and solve your challenges. Tomorrow is here. Visit them today at equitybank.com forward slash evolve. Be well and be safe. Have a profitable week.